We really love sharing a cup of something wonderful with our friends and neighbors. We don't all vote the same way or go to the same church. And I love that nail color on you, but I couldn't pull it off. We don't always agree, but we found that it's easier to understand someone when you sit heart to heart, cups in hand. There's room to share what God is brewing in me and what God's brewing in you, and then watch how that understanding infuses our life. Welcome to You Brew You, the podcast. Kim, I'm not sure that I live in the exact right spot in Texas, but I know who does. It seems like everybody that's cool and awesome and fun right now is coming out of kind of an Austin-ish area, mm-hmm. or they're moving to an Austin-ish area, it's AKA uh, Rachel Hollis and the, the whole Chic Tribe yes. people, all the Amazing. things. So they're moving to Dripping Springs, and today's guest actually grew up in Dripping Springs. Beautiful town. and. She's actually from Buda. Yeah. Buda. Beautiful Buda. Yes. Uh, so Lauren Flake is her name. She wrote a children's book that is specifically for talking to your children around Alzheimer's and dementia. Wow. And helping your kid to remember the grandparent that they um, are either losing to dementia or have lost to right. dementia. Right. Well, and that's important for adults, probably. It's a beautiful book. Yeah. And she wrote it first about losing her mom. Uh Uh-huh. And so, um, where did my sweet grandmother go? And she reworked it to where did my sweet grandfather go so that you have both genders in um, in the event that you need a different one from the one that she wrote. She was a really gracious guest to to visit with me in the midst of the beginning of the loss of of her grandmother and um, I just really appreciated her spending some time with me. So I hope that you enjoy our time together. I met Lauren Flake on a book launch team. And I was immediately drawn to the pictures that I saw on her Facebook page. Her family, super cute, wanted to get to know those kiddos. That's the children's minister in me right off the bat. And um, I've been in her home, and it is just as adorable as she is. I cannot wait to share her with you today. So I would like to welcome my sister friend, Lauren Flake. How are you, girl? Good. Thank you for having me. Good to see you. I get the benefit of being able to look at you while I'm talking to you, Um, but I will uh, share that it's a rainy-ish day in Texas, and um, for me, that puts me in a little bit of a, I'm really glad to be home and in my um, comfy clothes. I really want to kick back and get to hear your heart today. I was just thinking I was glad that I didn't have to put on makeup for this, so... (laughs) Exactly. Or even really exactly. fix my hair. Woohoo! So tell me, Lauren, who you are, what you do, who lives at home with you. So I am a mom to two little girls, four and six years old. Uh, I have a husband, two dogs, and then I have a um, grandmother down the road that we are sort of taking care of. Um, and I write a blog and have children's books. And then I also have a side project I'm working on called Daughters of Dementia. That's a community for caregivers of Alzheimer's and related dementia. And I don't know. What, what do you love to, to do in your spare time? Aside from right, because I know that that's a, a passion of yours. Art, gardening. Um, when my husband and I get a date night and get to go out, we like to go country western dancing. That's um, cool. We're de- Can he dance? Yeah, we're decent at it. We're, oh. We were probably better in college than we are now, but we both went to it A&M. Is- well, it kind of comes with the territory there a little bit, but I, um, I had big dreams of dancing with my husband and we are really good at the slow step side step. That's about, mm. that's about our speed. Um, but Hey, I'll take that too. Right. Just being close. So tell me how you are today. A little bit tired, but I'm okay. Uh, we've, so the last month, I guess 
has been interesting with uh, caregiving with my grandmother. She fell and broke her hip and went through rehab and just in the last week or so has been back in assisted living, but now memory care and, you know, we're just getting closer to the hospice stage of end of life. A mm. uh, little bit of dread there on going sure. through that again. Uh, but my kids are good and my husband's good. So, you know, all things considered, we're doing all right. So Lauren, tell me a little bit about Daughters of Dementia, where that started for you or that journey started for you and um, where it's led you. So I believe it was right after I moved my mom into the nursing home. The I think it was the year I got married, 2008. Uh, there was a local news story in Austin that featured my dad and my mom and I. My mom uh, had early onset Alzheimer's in her 50s. And uh, a girl who had lost her mother to Lewy body dementia, which mimics symptoms of both Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, saw the story, contacted the reporter who emailed me and said, hey, can I give her your info? So we met at a Tex-Mex restaurant and had margaritas and talked about she, she had recently lost her mom. So basically talked about, okay, well, this is what you have to look forward to the rest of the journey. And kind of mentored me through that and we became good friends uh so the idea between the two of us that we wanted to create that for other daughters of dementia that they would have surviving caregivers to mentor them through the journey and so it's been a slow process because we've both been a little busy she's been yeah she's done a lot of nonprofit work all over the country since then and I've been having children and taking care of my mom and my grandpa and now my grandma. So we're getting there as far as uh, like social media community, but the actual like one-on-one -on -one mentoring is still a work in progress. So, so I guess I got the cart before the horse. When did dementia enter your understand, like your understanding as, as a daughter? When did that, when did you begin to see signs of that and, and know that this was? Well, my mother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's in 2006, about a week after I graduated from college, but she was already in the moderate stage when she was diagnosed. And I, looking back, saw signs uh, starting my senior year of high school. So like 2001. Okay. It's it's sort of, there were a few other health problems thrown in there, so it's sort of hard it's to say where exactly, when exactly the Alzheimer's started, okay. but it was a huge shock considering that her parents were in their 80s and, you know, have my grandfather died two years ago at, uh, he was almost 90, and my grandmother will be 93 this year, so... Early onset Alzheimer's is typically hereditary. Okay. It wasn't necessarily. So it was a very huge shock and a really long time to sort of process and accept that that's really what the diagnosis was. And and in in the midst of this diagnosis, your mom, where was your mom's um understanding of that was you say moderate I, I i don't really have a, a gauge for that so well how i mean was she... they essentially say like mild moderate late stage if i mean that's uh -huh. like the simplest break there's really like seven stages but the simplified is like a three stage uh so when i the day she was diagnosed i sat down with her that night trying to gauge if she had actually understood what they said mm-hmm and what she said to me was, they don't know why I got so old all of a sudden. Mm. So, I mean, she did kind of get it. And it, eventually, there were moments that she would sort of seemed random to us, be aware that she had Alzheimer's. But right. generally speaking, she just, I think, knew that something was really wrong and she couldn't remember things and she was just very confused. I don't know that she 
really grasp what was happening. Okay. So it kind of started, it starts with like losing, having a really hard time coming up with certain words, uh, remembering recent events, keeping up with things like bill paying, remembering appointments. Um, those are sort of your first signs. And then eventually it was affecting her driving, which became very scary. Um, yeah. So I got married in 2008, and um, shortly after my wedding, she started to have trouble figuring out who I was. She would mix me up with other people, mm. and by the end of that year, she was in a nursing home because it was just not safe. Uh, my dad was still working and trying to have people come in and stay with her. Be, you know, neighbors were finding finding her wandering in the front yard, and it was a mess. So, right. So you got married, and then how how far along before you started having kids? So I had my well, I actually had a miscarriage, and uh, that was like the first really hard thing without my mom being able to support me in any way. And sure. uh, gosh, and then I had my oldest daughter beginning of 2012 so my mom was no longer really able to communicate at that point and uh, actually I think I was pregnant with her when my mom entered hospice care so my mom was on hospice for two years and my oldest was one and a half when she died so you know she technically met her but I don't really know that she absorbed or remembered any of that and when she was about two and a half uh, she started asking a lot of questions about Grandma Dixie and where is she. And, of course, we had pictures of her around the house and artwork. And so she knew what she looked like. She could recognize her in pictures. But it just all of a sudden we started having all these questions. Because where is she? I mean, when you're two, right. you're trying to figure out. Right? It, well, it actually started with uh, she liked to pick out my earrings for the day. And it there was a pair of mm -hmm. sterling silver dragonflies with some kind of red stone on them that she just loves and wants me to wear all the time. Still, she loves those earrings. And I said, well, these were Grandma Dixie's, and you know, and that started leading us into, well, but where is she? Hmm. So um, I asked if she knew Grandma Dixie. She said, yes. I said, well, do you know what she looks like? And I thought she would say she has dark hair or you know, some physical descriptor from the pictures. And she said, she's a bird, a pretty bird. Mm -hmm. And then for, you know, the next two years, anytime you would ask her what Grandma Dixie looked like, that's the same answer. And she was not being silly. That was just her serious answer. And I ended up turning that into a poem for her. And uh, that eventually evolved into my children's book because my uh, mother-in-law is a retired first and second grade teacher and when I read the poem to her she cried on the phone and said you have to publish this so that took about two years to actually make that happen because I thought what I was just writing this for my kids and you know I was picturing hey. some like photo book I was gonna make them not like an actual book for public consumption but it it how do how do you move from from a poem to an illustrated book? I mean, how, how do you find someone to illustrate something that's so personal and so that was the major hangup was the illustrations and I think about a year into it, I was at a, a women's retreat for our church, and there's a lady who is now a good friend of mine from church that she and her husband own a book design company, so they do professional uh, cover and interior layout design and we were talking about my book and all of a sudden a light bulb went off about my mother's artwork um, there's a, a line in the book about a Mustang and I mm -hmm. thought of a pen and ink drawing that I actually have hanging on the wall my mom did of a horse running and so it just clicked and come to find out, I actually had art of my mom's from when she was at A&M in the 70s, mostly, that lined up with about half the text of the book. Wow. So then I ended up... What a yeah. gift. 
<laughs> then I was stuck again. Okay, well, what do I do with the rest? And eventually I just got the nerve to do my own watercolors for the rest, which my oldest I call my art director because she had all sorts of critiques and, no, this needs to be this color. And <laughs> so. That's awesome. So it was it was literally illustrated by you and your yes. mother. Which was somewhat confusing for people because they that didn't realize when she died and when all this happened because no 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 these are from when she was in college. They just so happened to match up. In fact, I mean I didn't plan it that way, obviously. My dad found a uh, while I was working on getting the art together, he just he didn't even know what I was doing exactly and he sent me a picture one night of a watercolor of some birds that he had found that was the only thing in this blank notebook of my mom's he had found going through some stuff. And I said, I need a picture of birds. I've never seen this before. <laughs> so, I mean, they just it just really came together. Lauren, how as friends can we support sister friends or brother friends who have maybe lost a parent either to dementia or, or death in ways that encourage you and lift you up rather than um, cause pain? So I've found that the biggest fear that we have in grief, at least I do, is that our loved one will be forgotten. So that's part of what my heart is behind love of Dixie. Dixie was my mom's name. And I, uh, when the floods threatened San Marcos, uh, which is where her nursing home was that she spent the end of her life a few years ago, um, did we did t-shirts with love of Dixie on the back and raised $150,000 for flood relief in her memory. Uh, the books, of course, are are keeping her memory alive. And honestly, the greatest gift to me is when someone is losing a parent that has young children and somebody gives them one of the, my books or I get to give it to them for their kids and it makes a personal impact on that family. That's what... Um, heals my heart more than anything uh, with the loss of my mom because it means that her story is not wasted. It right. is blessing uh, somebody else in their time of need. So that's kind of what everything I do is about is um, continuing her story, I guess, and helping other people who are hurting, especially uh, moms of young kids. It's sort of like this bizarre, um, it's like the sandwich generation on steroids. Like you're having babies and taking care of or losing a parent at the same time um, is a, a very lonely place because most of your peers in that life stage of having kids don't get it. I mean, it's they're, they might be watching their parents do that with their grandparents, but it's very lonely and isolating when you feel like you're the only one doing that. And you're not the only one. You right. just not, haven't necessarily met the others who are doing it because we're sort of a rare breed, but there's we're out there. What were things that people did that were helpful during the the process of, of loss for you, things that maybe that were just thoughtful that looking back, you can, you can point to and say, Oh, I'm going to remember that. Or I want to share that so that other people can do thoughtful things. This one's kind of weird, but I had a bunch of uh, girlfriends bring a big basket of food and grocery gift cards and stuff. But the thing that sticks out in my mind from that basket was the paper plates like it never would have occurred to me to switch over to paper plates, but not having to do dishes for yeah. those few weeks was huge. Just simple, you know, or, or having your house, you know, paying to have your house cleaned. Um, or another huge one is if they actually knew your 
people who actually knew my mom uh, sharing stories or showing me things she had given them years ago or uh, one of my favorite ones is a good friend of hers uh, husband showed me a tree that she had given him the sapling when it you know years wow. ago and now it's a huge tree you know just sharing those little stories like that uh, that's another you know, showing you that their legacy really does continue and they're not forgotten. That little bits of them are in other places that right. can well, still and surprise. That's, and... that's kind of the message of my, of where did my sweet grandma go and where did my sweet grandpa go is that there's little pieces of them all around if we just look, that they're not really gone. They're never really gone because love is eternal. I mean, that's the message of the book, so. I love that. What is something that you find yourself going back to daily that um, reminds you of your mom? Oh, gosh. Um, well, one of my big ones is mockingbirds. Um, every yeah. time I see a mockingbird, it's a reminder of her. Um, roses, rose bushes. I mean, basically, anytime I'm working in my garden, because I learned that from her. Um, she was a teacher. So there's so many moments with my girls, like my oldest is learning to read right now. Um, I don't know if, well, it's, it's kind of like what doesn't remind me of her. Yeah. But I, uh, I have a friend. Yeah. I have a friend who, uh, who her mother passed away a little over a year ago and her mom would always talk about taking the 10 cent tour. Um, you know, I, I went to, I went to such and such and I took the 10 cent tour. And so from that point on, after her, her mom passed away, there would just be dimes, you know, mo most people find pennies laying around, but like oh, a dime yeah. on the floorboard of the car or as you're getting on the subway or just different that it was like her mom was leaving these little, don't forget, I'm still here. I'm still around. So a mockingbird or a rose that just kind of reminds you, Hey, Lauren, I'm still, I'm still with you. I love that. And I feel like we need to encourage folks who have lost to pay attention for those things, right? To look for those things. I think God uses that as a, as a, I like to call them God winks, right? Like, Hey, we're thinking of you. We're, we haven't forgotten you. Right. I mean, sometimes I feel like even skeptical of myself. Like, am I, am I reading too much into this? There's maybe there's just coincidences, but I mean, like the mockingbird thing, it's, there will be one mockingbird and it will light right next to me and then be gone. Yeah. I and mean, it's always like this very consistent and it's always when I have something on my mind, like my grandparents that I'm caring for are her parents. My mom was an only child. So my grandpa died two years ago. Um, he actually fell and broke his neck less than a month after my mom died. So we thought we were going to lose him then and he made it another two years. And then now my grandmother, um, and it's just times that have been really big struggles with caregiving with them. Mm -hmm. I've seen the mockingbird show up the most. So, I mean, I feel like that can't be a coincidence. God incidents, huh? Right. <laughs> we talked about the books. We talked about Daughters of Dementia. I mentioned the shirts. What else do I do? Well, you, you do far more than you realize you, um, you post about what you're doing devotion wise. And I have for the last, at least, well, at least since January, I did a hundred days to brave with you. Um, who wrote that? Remind me. Annie, who wrote, Annie Downs. Annie Downs. Annie Downs. And I, when I finished it, it was like April, I'm just going to make up a date, like April 11th or something like that. I almost went into depression over the fact that I didn't have, I was like, because I thought I, I don't know what to go to next. I, and I, um, so I looked to <laughs> what, 
what you were doing uh, to see to see where you were headed in the next direction. You, um, I do love books. And is that something that you feel like you got from your mom? Well, my mom was an English teacher, so yes. Love of, of literature and, and the spoken, oh, yeah. or written word, I mean, excuse me. History and literature, both from her. Do you of course, a... my grandmother was a Texas history teacher, too. So. And all A&M? No, my grandmother's, uh, my grandmother's oldest, no, my grandmother's middle brother, sorry. She had three older brothers. Her middle brother was the quarterback of the UT football team. Oh, a house divided. So he kind of, <laughs> kind of threw a fit when my mom went to a but. Oh, well, but still love, a lot of love in the house. <laughs> and you said you met your husband at a &M? Well, technically, we met in Dripping Springs. We grew up okay. in Dripping Springs. Like, we went to middle school and high school together. But we didn't really know each other well until A&M, so. Do you ever worry about dementia for yourself? Sometimes. Not constantly like I did at one point. Uh, the first couple of years after my mom's Alzheimer's diagnosis, I was essentially obsessed with or just uh, had decided that I, I, it's like I had already decided that that's what was going to happen to me. Mm. Um, and it was part of a control issue that I was somehow going to figure out how to not let that happen to me. And I was going to figure, I mean, I spent hours researching online trying to figure out what the cause of Alzheimer's was and what specifically had happened to my mom and how I was going to keep that from happening to me. Mm -hmm. I still worry a little bit now about things like nutrition, exercise, you know, a little bit, but not like a intense fear like I used to have. Um, part of it, I guess, was realizing that my grandparents had made it way past that age without having Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, my grandfather probably had some Alzheimer's and vascular dementia towards the end, but I mean, we're talking when he was in his early 90s. Okay. Okay. Uh, my grandmother definitely has vascular dementia. I don't think that she has Alzheimer's. But there's also, I, I guess I gained some perspective mm -hmm. in that time because at one point, I thought that Alzheimer's was the worst thing that could ever happen to you. It was worse than death. I still think it's worse than death. In the the long-term suffering and the losing your identity. Um, the longest I mean, I goodbye, right? I, I mean. Well, right. And I don't think that people that don't have first-hand experience really understand how much of your faculties you lose. I mean, your brain controls everything, including your swallowing. So as the disease progresses, you're losing um, the ability to toilet yourself. It affects your balance. It affects your vision, coordination. Uh, I mean, my mom ended up in a special wheelchair, like, because she couldn't even hold herself upright in the chair. She was leaning to the side so badly. And you lose your ability to communicate. Um, I mean, it's way beyond memory loss. Yeah. It, your brain controls everything. And so people usually end up dying at the end because they can't swallow and they aspirate and end up with pneumonia. She ended up, she couldn't swallow, but she ended up stopping eating and drinking before getting pneumonia. Um, but typically it's pneumonia. But after that, I guess it was about 17 months or something like that after my mom died. Um, my dad had remarried and my stepmom died of colon cancer. Wow. So she was conscious and able to communicate up almost up until the very end. And so I saw a different perspective on ways to die, I guess. I mean, it, I no longer thought that Alzheimer's was necessarily the last, the worst way to die because... You know, at least there's some piece in um, not being fully aware sure. of what's going on mm -hmm. versus being 
you know, can't dying of cancer, there's a lot of pain. And if you're aware of what's going on up until the end, I mean, it's just, I just gained some perspective on, we can't compare yeah. pain and trauma and, you know, there's all sorts of terrible things that can happen. Um, it's not really that easy to rank them like I thought it was. Mm-hmm. And it's also just uh, letting go of that control and realizing that it doesn't matter what I do. I ultimately don't have the final say in how I'm going to end up or how I'm going to die or when I'm going to, you know, um, there's, you can't just live in fear and waste your life worrying about what could happen one day. So do you feel like in some ways it's made you more intentional to be present Yes, but I also have this uh, sense of urgency that competes with that. Okay. Um, just because of my mom dying young, I mean, relatively speaking, she was 49. I've, it, it's like the fear of Alzheimer's specifically isn't really haunting me anymore, mm-hmm. but I still in the back of my mind have this but maybe I don't have X number of years, you know, maybe I don't make it into my 60s, 70s, 80s. Um, and so I guess my timetable is a little bit different, like as far as long-time gr- long-term goals than a lot of other people, mm-hmm. because I don't, I, I guess it's, it's not so much a fear, but it, I recognize that that's not guaranteed. Yeah. So, so that's my like internal struggle is the being present versus don't waste the day. I want to, I want to go back to the mother's day, father's day, um, talk. So at the time that you and I are talking, we're about two weeks out from Mother's Day. And as someone who experienced Mother's Day, um, as someone who struggled with infertility for a number of years, and so there were, there were whole segments of my life where I wanted them to give me the rose <laughs> at the, at the, br- the brunch, mm. and I wanted somebody to say you know, congratulations and isn't, isn't your baby beautiful or whatever. And I can remember sitting there feeling, um, overwhelmed with grief because it had been multiple losses for my husband and I. Um, but also as someone, my mom last year, uh, she tried to die eight times, um, with, uh, heart block because of lupus and so last year's mother's day to me was one that I will not soon forget because I felt like we just got we got a amazing gift back again and so um it's made me more aware of how I talk when it comes to mother's day and how to honor and how to bless those around me how to not make a big deal out of mother's day the way you wouldn't like if if you were hanging out with a bunch of single friends and you're married, you don't say, Hey, it's Valentine's day. And look at, he got me a new rock. You know, you wouldn't do that. So (laughs) how do you, how do you encourage your friends when it comes to mother's day and father's day and knowing that you've lost your grandfather, knowing that you've lost your mother on those days, how do you honor, um, their memory? And yet also how do you help a friend through that? through a new transition after loss? I guess it's just being aware and sensitive to that it's not necessarily a celebration for everyone. Mm. I mean, yes, I'm a mom and I have two little kids. So, and I, you know, try to celebrate my mother-in-law. Um, and my grandmother, but of course it's my grandmother's weighing on my 
mind right now, and my grandfather died on Mother's Day. My mom died right after Father's Day. Um, it's so you don't see the. So I actually saw a post on Facebook today about um, the Sarah Philpott's mm -hmm. Honor All Moms movement, and it was somebody sharing about that, saying don't have women stand up in service and Mother's Day and it's you know you don't see unless you gosh even I've even had like super close friends that I didn't know about the miscarriage yeah. until later and you just don't know you don't see the infertility you don't see the miscarriage I mean in rare cases you actually know about those we're just opening wounds that we don't even know are there so I think we just need to be really intentional about how we honor moms um, and and fathers and in a way that's not exclusionary it's kind of like the exalting marriage in the church and ignoring single people yeah. I mean yeah. which that plays into the Mother's Day. I, I was at a church one time where they honored, and they didn't ask anybody to stand up, um, but they honored mothers in the faith as well. And I thought, how many women in this church have been a mother in the faith to me and maybe have never birthed a child or adopted a child, but they have they have been in that position for me? Um, and as a children's minister, um, I, it seems like I'm always the one that gets tasked with, could you do something for Mother's Day? Could you do something for Father's Day? And a few years ago um, at the church that I was serving at at the time, we gave out tea bags, um, you know, single serve tea bags or whatever. And with a, with a little card that said, go home and call your mom or spend time thinking about your mom and brew this cup of tea and just be with them. And it was my attempt to just connect folks with their moms. And, you know, one, one person, and it, we gave it to every person that came in and out of the door. So man, woman, didn't really matter because everyone has a mother. Um, and one man said, you know, my, my memories of my mom are not good. And I, I thought, even when you try, it's going to, it's going to be hard. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to find, right. you're going to find that you can't, you can't fix it all. But when you're intentional about stopping and thinking through what would this feel like if this was the first right. mother's day since I lost my mom, or what would this feel like if, um, if it was the first Mother's Day after a loss um, to miscarriage, it makes you it, it it just makes you more sensitive. Well, and even if you say the wrong thing, I mean, you're not. It's like the tea bag thing. You're not always going to get it right. perfectly right, even when you're intentional. But I think it's that that intentionality carrying through, and the humility to if you didn't get it just right. Well, recognize it and address that. Don't just pretend that right. you didn't hurt people's feelings or bring up trauma. I mean, it, just because it wasn't intentional to do it doesn't mean mm -hmm. you don't try to fix it. Nope. So I think that's when, I think that that is the most hurtful is when the grief and hurt is ignored. Um, you know, like the standing up in Mother's Day thing. It's... Well, everyone else is standing up around them, and their heart's breaking in pieces, you know? Well, there was a time back in the 80s and 90s when they would hand out a red carnation if your mother was living and a white carnation if your mother was, oh, do you remember yeah. that? And I, well, I think they were doing that in the 90s, too. <laughs> and, and I think back that I think... I'm sure the original thought was really heartfelt and, and lovely. And yet, God, you're wearing a white, ro you know, white 
carnation on your chest and you're just trying to swallow around the lump in your throat, you know? That we've we I I often go back to that song that was part of uh, my Christian upbringing. I was only allowed to listen to Christian music, no secular music in our home. And so a lot of Amy Grant and a lot of Michael W. Smith, uh, um, you can live to tell the story. But um, that said, there was a song that said, don't let another wounded soldier die. Like we're the first one to shoot (laughs) our wounded um, as Christians. We're the first ones to um, unin- you know, it's, it's usually with good intentions. We don't necessarily set out to, to hurt folks, but we, we end up hurting when we're trying to help. And I love that these conversations that we're having with each other tend to, to make people stop and think before they talk. Well, I, well Christians tend to not allow sadness. Yeah. It's... Uh, Oh, well, they're in a better place. Oh, well, we should be rejoicing and celebrating their life. Um, it's like like we don't make room for grief in the church. And is that just because, um, why, why do you think that is? I guess maybe that's a better question. Well, I think we, I mean, we still have a stigma with things mm-hmm. like depression, um, which is sort of an inevitability of, grief uh you know yeah we're called to rejoice in all circumstances but that doesn't mean that we don't grieve when we lose someone i mean if we didn't grieve then we didn't really love in the first place is kind of how i look at it um i think this is kind of the stigma is kind of changing like we're getting Mm -hmm. there slowly but it's just, uh, you know, it's a, oh, well, they're in heaven, so mm-hmm. get over it. You know, it's like, oh, we, we still get to be sad. I mean, that's just not healthy. Well, Jesus modeled it for us, you know? I mean, Lazarus died and he wept, right? I mean, he, he, he was sad for that being apart, and that's a real thing. And to act like, well, they're in a better place and, you know, in a twinkling of an eye, I'll be there. But it doesn't feel like a twinkling of, of an eye in the long, dark nights of the soul, does it? I mean, you're just, you're just, some days you're just putting one foot in front of the other because the grief is so heavy. Well, it's like, guess what? I still yeah. have to be yeah. here. Like, yeah, yeah. there. You know. Yeah. I love that part of our conversation right there. I really, really, really love that. Let me ask you the, so we have what we call warm up questions, Lauren, and it's as if the waitress is walking by, like we're having a conversation in a coffee shop and not like it's a Skype call between the two of us and you're in your office and I'm in my laundry room. But, <laughs> I, um, this is yes, your laundry? I don't know if you can, Oh, you have a lovely window it's in your laundry room. But whatevs, right? Okay, so, <laughs> so the waitress just walked by and said, hey, can I warm you up? And we're still having just a, a good conversation. What is your favorite drink and how do you take it? I love margaritas on the rocks with salt. See, I would go frozen with salt. Okay. Uh well, there is there's one place in Buda now that I will drink a frozen margarita because uh-huh. it's so good. Nate's, but I'm basically a on the rocks girl. So, which is funny because my mom—that's how my mom drank margaritas too. But she wasn't a big drinker, yeah. at least not in my in my <laughs> presence. But you know, Hex Mix and margaritas—that's so. a winning combination right there. What is one product or thing? It doesn't have to be one. If you like lots of products, you can just talk. But what's something that you're loving right now? I have been into the Rachel's Plan B, which is a another local handmade Buda thing um, for a 
few years now. I met her when she first started the business, and she's done really well. It's all natural products with beeswax and just super natural, amazing smelling ingredients. So my favorite of all is the Coconut Beach body oil, which she only makes like late spring through summer. But it is amazing. All of her body oils are amazing, but that I got a small vial amazing. of that as like as like a gift and I keep it in my travel bag and so now that smell to me is I'm going somewhere fun. Like that smell oh. You know she has a shimmering no. one too. She makes a version of that shimmering. That sounds incredibly luscious and divine. I can't I'm gonna have to look that one up. And now she's doing the body scrub in the and I think uh, I think hand lotion in the coconut beach too. Love that. So you can just be all coconut beach all the time. I, that that's my dream. That's my dream. And actually, this year I'm taking it to camp with me um, to summer camp, which is when I feel the most sweaty and not beachy. I feel very mm. sandy, but not beachy. <laughs> so. I'm gonna I'm gonna gonna hook myself up with some some of that for summer camp. Lauren, what are you reading or listening to right now? Uh, I listen to a lot of Marin Morris and I'm listening to a lot of John Mayer again lately. Uh, I love Lauren okay. Daigle a lot too. When I'm Lauren Daigle is sort of my go-to if I'm getting depressed or just worn down with caregiving, et cetera, um, stress. And reading, I'm really into Kate Morton novels now. Um, she is about she's Australian, but her books are basically historical oh, fiction. Okay. Um, Pretty much set in England. And so she's working on book seven, or it's being released soon. So I'm trying to read through them before. Like I read The Forgotten Garden, and now I'm reading The Distant Hours. But I, like those are, I get to the end and I have serious withdrawals because. It's just, I get so wrapped into, and I had not been reading fiction. I had been reading, like, memoirs and Christian self-help and devotionals, you know, that kind of stuff for several years. And so I got back into fiction. When I was and is it, is it a series? Is it, is it a series? No, they don't. I mean, they okay. stand alone. Okay. But, so you don't have to go in order. I just kind of wanted to. That's fun. <laughs> That's you fun. you could pick up anything. I think she has... The Lake House, and I'm trying to remember the name, all the names, but I don't, I don't even know if the newest one has a title yet. So it's kind of fun now to be able to read books and like follow the author yeah. on Instagram while you're, you know, like connect with the author while you're reading her novels. It's sort of revolutionary. I am loving things like try this recipe by this author. That is super fun to me. Um, Somebody, somebody I was reading, don't ask me who, because, oh gosh, I've only got like six on the nightstand right now, but somebody on Instagram was like, this is my go-to uh, avocado, I mean, avocado toast. And I was like, I mean, I was writing like as though if I went and got that particular, that particular salt, I would love it more. I love me a good avocado toast. What, um... How can people connect with you on social media, find the book, all of that? So the website is loveofdixie.com or laurenflake.com. Both get you there. And my Instagram is loveofdixie. Facebook is loveofdixie. And Twitter is laurenflake. Okay. And Daughters of Dementia, is that a closed group or is that a open group what is that no there's a facebook page okay. and instagram and website for that it's uh daughters of dementia but i think it's dtrs okay. of dementia because that was too long on instagram and uh facebook 
and then daughtersofdementia.org is the website because eventually we're going to make it a nonprofit. So that's your new it. project then. That's what's on the horizon mm -hmm. for you. That's my on, my ongoing. Well, and I also want to do a Love of Dixie magazine, which I have lots of people wanting to write for. Just need to make it happen. I like a like a for Texas okay. women. So it would be statewide um, recipes and devotionals and stories. And would this be a print mag or is this like an online magazine? I think we might start out with just online. And if we do well there, we may do print as well. Girl, you are like getting it. And in the midst of it, you're, you're keeping kids alive and you're, you're, taking care of your grandmother, your wifing, all the things. You're pretty amazing there, Lauren Flake. Thank you. <laughs> I've been drinking a lot of hey, coffee lately, blessed too. Blessed and highly caffeinated is what we say around here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Girl, thanks for spending this time with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to You Brew You, the podcast, with your host, Cam, and my mom, Carrie. The idea for this podcast was brewed over a cup of tea between me, my name's Carson, and my mom. Artwork by Jenna Cook and They Made Designs. You Brew You social media coordinator is Kim Thompson. Special thanks to our podcast fairy godmother, Sue Jolly. Ron Lesner is the editor. And my dad. Music for this podcast by Tori McClure. Fangirling! You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at YouBrewYou and on our website at YouBrewYouPodcast.com. I'm Carson and I'm off to put the kettle back on to boil again. See you next time. Toodles!